How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And I'm driving up in my car to what had been the first home I shared with my husband, where he carried me over the threshold, where we brought our baby girl home. And now there were police lights and ambulances and police tape. And my pastor was standing there, grabbed me out of the car and held me and just said, it's true. I'm Matt Gilhooley, and this is the Life Shift Podcast, and I wanted to introduce you to my guest this week, Michelle Horde. Michelle's story is one of unimaginable grief and loss. It's also one of resilience and hope. And on this episode, she shares her journey of overcoming a real giant tragedy and finding a new purpose in her life. Her life was turned upside down when her daughter was murdered by a family member. And she shares her heart-wrenching moment when she arrived at the scene and knew immediately that it was her kid. But instead of letting grief consume her, Michelle found the strength to keep going and to truly honor her daughter's memory. We talk about self-care and healing through therapy and other forms of self-care in this episode. Michelle also discusses the power of community and how the support of others really helped her through her darkest moments. But what struck me the most about Michelle's story is her resilience. Despite the tragedy that she faced, She didn't want to let grief define her or her daughter's memory. So she found a new purpose in life and dedicated herself to helping others who face similar tragedies. So there is trigger warning in this episode. I want to make sure that you take care of yourself. If this topic is too much for you, please, you know, take care and maybe skip this episode. But I do think that Michelle's story is worth taking some time to listen to because it's a reminder that even in the darkest of times, there's always hope. Before I share this episode this week, I just want to thank all the Patreon members and those of you considering being a Patreon member. It is really helpful to support what I am trying to do here in ways of production and equipment and marketing and those kind of things. So if you have a couple dollars to spare each month and you want to contribute to the community and possibly win a t-shirt every time five more people join the Patreon, then you can go to patreon.com forward slash the life shift podcast 
for more information. There are a bunch of different tiers starting as low as $3 a month. So thank you so much. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Michelle Horde. I'm Matt Gilhooley, and this is The Life Shift, candid conversations about the pivotal moments that have changed lives forever. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Life Shift Podcast. I am here with Michelle Horde. Hello, Michelle. Hi there. How are you? I'm good today. How about you? Not too bad. It's raining in Florida, which I'm super happy about because it's a bazillion degrees out lately. And I bet I can't do it. I just want it to rain all the time now. Now, does it turn into like a steam room sauna after the rain? Only if it rains for a short amount of time. So if it rains all day, we're okay. It's okay. It's manageable. But yes, if it's like a hot day and it rains for like 10 minutes, it's worse. It's a great hair day. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I just stay inside. It's an air conditioning thing. So I really appreciate you wanting to be a part of the Life Shift podcast. We've been talking about this for a couple months now, and we finally made it happen. And I think super excited is the wrong words to use, but I am super honored that you would want to be a part of this because your journey and the pivotal moment in your life is really, really tough and important to share and important to share your journey afterwards. Uh, We were talking before recording, you know, I started this show because I felt so alone when my mom died and I felt like the only kid that, that had a dead parent. I felt like I had to impress everyone around me and tell them I was okay. Yeah. When I was so broken. And so the life shift podcast exists so that whoever's listening, the one set of ears listening, feels so alone in their circumstance. They hear a story like yours that has a resilience moment to it. They feel less alone. They feel like, oh, there might be some hope for me in my own circumstance. So super honored. Well, thank you so much. And the work that you're doing is so important. So important to many ears, I'm sure. Thank you. I, I'm terrible at taking compliments, but you wrote a book in 2022. It's been out for a while now. And I told you before we started recording that I haven't read it yet. And that was on purpose because I do want these conversations to unfold. I haven't watched any of the interviews that you've done on other shows. And I feel terrible saying that because I feel like I'm breaking all the interview rules, right? But, you know, podcasts are a different space. I think it's... Absolutely. Growing up as a journalist, perhaps you broke the journalism rules, but this is a different space. And I love the idea of just having a conversation and and it not feeling choreographed, but just just seeing where it honestly goes. You know, I think we're, we're getting there in 2023 where people are having more open and honest conversations. But I'd like to think of it as someday I walk into a coffee shop and I overhear two people having just like a really deep human conversation and not just like, here are the accolades that I got, or I got this promotion at work and look at me, I'm beautiful, you know, all these things. I just want these real, real conversations. So that's kind of how I see this. So maybe you can kind of paint the picture of a little bit of who you are right now and then what your life was like leading up to this moment that we're going to be talking about today. Absolutely. So I currently am a consultant. I work primarily with media companies because I've spent 30 years in the media industry. Um, Now, I will add saying I started at age four. Yes, I was going to say. 
Yes. <laughs> Child prodigy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, have worked on shows like The Oprah Winfrey Show and Good Morning America and worked primarily as a producer. And I am married and literally just relocated to the D.C. area with my husband in the last week. I was joking with you that there's banker's boxes, hopefully somewhat hidden uh, <laughs> all around me. And so, you know, what I've always enjoyed uh, professionally was storytelling and telling other people's stories, hearing other people's stories. And it really all started with my first job, which was at America's Most Wanted. We've heard of that. Washington, D.C. Yes, perhaps once or twice. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that show really was a trailblazer. And John Walsh, who hosted the show and started the show, was someone whose child had been kidnapped and murdered. And so he came into the space with such advocacy. And so it was not just kind of the true crime space that we can get caught up in now that I've got to be honest, creeps me out a little bit when people just enjoy watching other people's misery. You know, how can we help? How can we make a difference? And so one of my first jobs out of school was handling missing children cases all over the country in the 90s, where scary enough, it, it seemed like there were a lot of them, you know, a, a kid right, you know, on their newspaper route in the morning who gets kidnapped. And so those stranger abductions would happen. And within 24 hours, I was on a plane going to be with a family, getting the news out to the FBI and working with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And what I always found fascinating is the wrong word, but inspiring was that one, a community of strangers would come together, you know, that people will bond together in very difficult times. And that mom, dad, family, somehow we're surviving. Somehow we're talking to me, cracking a joke, making dinner. And just the power of what humans can withstand and endure and I don't want to say overcome because some things just live with you. Some experiences just go with you. But it, it really, I think, in some ways informed the type of work I became gravitated to, which was how do people survive things that if I'm watching at home or listening on a podcast, I say, oh my God, there's no way I ever could. And, and yet somehow ordinary people have this extraordinary thing that comes out of them when it's necessary. I've had lots of conversations very similar to that where someone comes to me, they've heard my story, which doesn't, isn't just my mom dying, but, and they're like, I can't, I can't possibly imagine going through that. And then on their side, their story to me is like, I can't, how, how did you do that as a human? And so I don't know why we sometimes will, will compare our stories, but in the end, we are very resilient if we are willing to be, you know, I think there's, there's some element of that, which is really hard, really hard to be, to move forward, I think. But again, like you said, there's a lot of human aspects to it. You still have to breathe and eat and, and do things in a moment like that. But even America's Most Wanted, I think they helped a lot of, they, they found a lot Absolutely. of people. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. we didn't have, what, social media? We didn't have no. the I internet? No, people were calling a 1-800 number. <laughs> right. You know, um, so it was a very, very different time. That's got to feel good too, though, right? I mean, oh, absolutely. When you would hear Captured, you know, and, you know, one of the funny fun facts about that show was a lot of times 
they watched the show in prison. Prisoners watched it. And like, we would literally get calls from inside prison of like, hi, there's this guy that says his name is Joe, but clearly his name isn't Joe because (laughs) I just saw him on America's Most Wanted. So, I mean, you know, people really felt it was a way to connect before we had all of these for good or for bad, other social ways that we're able to connect with people. It was a way I think where people felt like they could connect and make a difference. Was that, that was before the Amber Alert system as well? It was. That's exactly right. Um, that case was one of the cases covered on America's Most Wanted. And yes, it was before that system. So we were on Fox and we would do these missing child alerts with all of the Fox affiliates, uh, hopefully within hours, because unfortunately in those cases, you know, 24, 48 hours pass and there's not necessarily a lot of hope left. So yes, it was a very, very different time. The things I took away from it for sure still remain today. Is the stories of, of the these real people, because I think too now, like you pointed out, this true crime fascination, sometimes it, the story gets a little glamorized or or the the event gets more glamorized than the actual story of the humans behind it that had to face it. I I thought about it in the, oh God, what was that story? The Love and Death, I think, is the latest one on HBO about Candy Montgomery. And you, what you read in the papers, the deeper articles that not a lot of people read are the families of the woman or her, her former friend that was the victim and how that brings things back up. Sure. They didn't overcome anything. I'm sure it still lives with them, but now they're reminded of it in a way that other people are glamorizing it. So there is a challenge in that as well. No, for sure. For sure. That's amazing work, but I can see how you would gravitate to the more positive elements, maybe? Yes. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. Where did you go from from there? And, and what did you do with that? You moved into all those other spaces and producing and journalism? Yeah, so I, I continued to uh, produce... You know, like I said, at the Oprah Winfrey show at CBS News, I was really interested in news and landed at Good Morning America working with Robin Roberts and Diane Sawyer. And, you know, Robin Roberts is one of those rare people who is exactly who you see on television. And it's just this ray of sunshine and wants to bring hope and healing wherever she goes. And, you know, one of the first big stories I remember covering with her was Hurricane Katrina, which really impacted her hometown um, and her home state of Mississippi. So, yes, those stories that where you can find hope, where you find light in the dark, I guess, um, are the stories that I've always been really attracted to and, and you know, find inspirational more than anything. Did you find it challenging behind the scenes I feel like, I mean, maybe media was a little bit different when you were doing that, but I feel like a lot of media kind of goes towards like the bad news or like, you know, like kind of focus on that part. Did you find that difficult to kind of push through and and be like, here, no, but here's, here's the good part of it. Well, I was, you know, I've been blessed that I was able to be intentional and there were some places, frankly, I just would not work you know, that were more money that, that I just would not work. So I was never interested in sensationalizing. You know, I, I was never interested in just getting the exclusive booking to get someone on TV who frankly probably shouldn't be on national TV at that moment. So it was, it was, you know, the more layered stories. And I think because I walked into the space with the early experience of America's Most Wanted, 
you know, you walked in as an advocate, as a social worker, even though I was none of those things at 22 years old, because I was representing this show um, and representing John Walsh, there was just an empathy um, and respect for the people you were working with that you looked at them as survivors and not victims and not marks, quite frankly. So I certainly, in the stories I covered, even when I was on, uh, you know, a school shooting or something like that, there, there are certain types of stories that I looked to tell. And those were the ones about fighting through for the hope. I guess it, it brings us closer to, to the moment in your life where you be, I don't want to say it like this. I mean, I guess you became the story that you would, that you would go talk to people on. Can you share a little bit about that? Yes. So, you know, the name of my book is The Other Side of Yet. And the title in part is because I spent so much of my career on the other side of police tape, on the other side of these stories. And then suddenly at 47, I was the mother showing up at a crime scene. I was the one on the other side of police tape. So just in terms of background and context, I got married in my late 30s to someone I'd known since my early 20s. We were blessed to have this beautiful little girl when I was 39 years old after being told that I probably would not be able to conceive. Her name was Gabrielle. She was this amazing, healthy, energetic, kind, wonderful, funny little girl. And at some point when she was about five or six years old, I realized that my marriage through all the hard work and counseling was just not materializing in the way that I had hoped it. And as a mom of a girl, I wanted to show her what I thought love should look like, what I thought, how I thought a wife should be treated, how I thought a mom should be treated. And unfortunately, my marriage was not one that was going to allow me to do that. So you know, there was a lot of back and forth uh, through the divorce proceedings. Uh, I moved out at one point because I just didn't want Gabrielle exposed to friction. So she would go back and forth between my place and dad's place. And on June 5th, 2017, I received a phone call from my then husband saying, okay, I'll sign the papers. And I rushed to like meet him at a notary because it had been such a horrific, divisive several months and I, I before he changed his mind, right? Um, and I remember signing, you know, all of these papers in front of this complete stranger. And it literally feels like you're signing the life you know away, right? And us talking as we parted ways that evening and me giving him a hug and him saying, you know, I'm sorry for everything that's happened over these last several months. And I was just awash with relief because I was like, thank God, the person who I've known who I've known since I was in my 20s is still in there. And I said, listen, our marriage may not have worked out, but all that matters, we were friends first. We still love each other. And most importantly, we love this little girl. And so the most important thing is co-parenting this little girl. And that was an evening where Gabrielle was spending the night with her dad. I went back to my rental home, got up the next day, went to work with the intentions of sitting down with my husband after work and talking to Gabrielle about logistically next steps. She knew we were going to get a divorce, but you know what the plans were. And at about 3 p.m., I received the phone call and it was from our caregiver and it was clear to me by just this shrill scream, which was unlike anything I'd ever heard, that she had walked into a crime scene. 
And I wasn't in the moment sure exactly what was happening. You know, to my knowledge, Gabrielle would be at school getting ready to come home. My first thought was, oh my God, her dad's killed himself. You know, how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to help her deal with this? And then this just, I can only describe it as like an ice pick going through the top of your head down where I realized maybe it was something else. And I called a dear friend who always was at drop-off and said, hey, did you see Gabrielle this morning? And she said, no. And then I knew Gabrielle had not gone to school. And then I realized that something else perhaps was happening. And you can only imagine like the longest drive home ever, right? As family and friends are starting to gather who arrived before me, my mother-in-law, who I was very close to, who I called immediately to go and get to the scene. And I'm driving up in my car to what had been the first home I shared with my husband, where he carried me over the threshold, where we brought our baby girl home. And now there were police lights and ambulances and police tape. And my pastor was standing there grabbed me out of the car and held me and just said, it's it's true. And my daughter was gone. My husband had taken our child's life and was still alive and was in police custody. I'm not sure how to respond to that. I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. I feel, I feel that still, I mean, this was this was a few years ago. I mean, it's a big thing, but you can feel that you were in that moment telling that particular story. And, you know, I can't help but think of the experiences that you had before, you know, in your, in your workspace and then pulling up, knowing full well what's happening around you, yes. but also probably feeling like this is, this can't, did you, did you have a sense of feeling that this just like, wasn't real? Like you were in like some other kind of space. Did you have any of that feeling? I went into survival mode. I, I think because of the experiences I had, you know, I remember a coworker was driving me home and was trying to reassure me, you know, maybe she's just hurt. Maybe she can't call you. And I knew I just knew. I knew as a mother, I knew as someone who had covered these stories, who walked into situations and heard, there are no words, this doesn't happen here, that somehow that was my story now. And, you know, we all have things that we consider our darkest nightmares, our worst nightmares. When I was growing up, it was losing my mom. I lost my mom suddenly uh, when I was 24. She was 50. So I was an adult, but certainly a young adult. And she died of a cerebral aneurysm and it was, you know, unexpected. And so the second worst nightmare was losing a child, but it would have never even been in my nightmare to imagine this with someone, you know, it's interesting. I think those of us that have experienced trauma try to make it palatable sometimes for other people make them comfortable. And, and I'm sure you can relate to this in your own way. You know, when we were talking earlier, you, not that you make excuses, but you know, you need people to feel like you were okay. Even if you're not, you 
need to explain whatever is explicable. And so I find, you know, this, this reflex of saying, you know, it wasn't an abusive household. Um, there was no violence in the household because it is, it is something that will go without explanation for the rest of my life. And I think that was one of the first truisms that I had to accept on this walk was there are things that are just without explanation. Even as someone of faith who grew up in the Baptist church, who has a strong faith, what my faith hasn't ever promised me was that everything was going to make sense to me. And, you know, people say a lot of things in the name of God, a lot of things, frankly, that I think they shouldn't say (laughs) without authority. You know, I believe in my heart of hearts that just like there's good in the universe, there's evil in the universe. And that whatever this evil was that did this, that took over literally my husband that I knew, was something that was supposed to take me out too. And so I very quickly through gut-wrenching pain and trauma and everything that comes with a crime investigation, by the way, in the middle of a divorce that wound up taking two years after he was incarcerated, my sole focus was that I was going to survive this because I wasn't supposed to. And it was a bit of an FU, <laughs> FU universe. I'm supposed to be here for a reason. This is not supposed to be survivable. This was This little girl was my biggest dream and the light of my life. And it does her a disservice if I don't survive to tell her story. That's, and that's huge. I think it's, I'm sure there were moments in which you did not feel that way. I'm sure there are little blips in time in which you were just, how do I move forward? You know, I want to go back to what you said about kind of like you felt the need to make explanations or not excuses. And, and if this question is too far, please tell me, but was there a part of you that, that absorbed some kind of like, what could I have done moment? Uh, because I think I would, when my mom died, I was eight and I blamed myself that I didn't stop her from going on this trip as a 32 year old woman that can clearly make her own decisions. But I remember having a temper tantrum like before she went and she's like, it's fine. It's fine. And then it wasn't. And then, so I absorbed that as an eight year old, I can imagine as a grown person with, with your own thoughts, did you have any of those moments in which? Sure. I mean, listen, as a parent, as a mother, you know, wondering what I missed, wondering what I didn't see. I'm incredibly grateful that I was able to very quickly start to work with a trauma therapist who I still work with this to this day. And one of the first things she said to me, and she'd grown up in the Manhattan DA's office is, you didn't miss anything because there was nothing to see. Right. Well, that's You know, that is truly a sociopath. And Certainly everyone in my life, from my father to dear friends, you know, it's as if we all felt like I was this very safe driver that got mowed down by a Mack truck. And so, so much of life in those early days and months and weeks and even years after were what's coming, you know, um, can I see what's coming? Can she see what's coming? And one of the lessons had to be 
you know, one, really letting go of ever understanding. And then two, realizing that there just are some things outside of our control. And I think for me, and it's interesting because as I started to write this book, COVID happened. And I found, strangely enough, or perhaps not strangely enough, that my ability to articulate my story became much, much easier when COVID happened because all of the sudden there was this universal thing that was not possible. It was not possible. It was out of a horror movie until it was, right? And once it was possible, what else is possible, right? When something sudden, horrific, traumatic happens, it sort of opens up this door of like, oh my gosh, if this could happen, what else could happen? I'm sure you experienced that as a young man of like, you know, don't tell me what it is or isn't possible because I've already seen what's possible, right? And so at different levels, which is why I think these conversations are so important right now and that people are willing to testify and be vulnerable, we all have experienced incredible trauma and loss of life as we've known it in the past few years, even if you didn't lose someone personally. And so it's, it, you know, acknowledging that and understanding it will never make sense. You know, we'll never be able to understand, you know, why there were families that were completely wiped out by COVID and others that weren't, right? Or or why it spread or why, you know, even science can't emotionally help us, right? Connect to what happened um, and and promise us that we're safe today. And, you know, the dirty little secret is we were never assured that everything was going to go smoothly, right? Like we've never been assured that something like this couldn't happen. And so when it does, it, it gives you this realization that I've only have this moment. I only have right now. I have this false sense that I'm somehow controlling what's happening around me. And in reality, I'm just on this walk, whether that's a walk of faith or walk with the universe, or walk with loved ones. I'm just on this walk, and all I can do is just put one foot in front of the other. You're right. You hit on the power of of storytelling and collective experiences, right? And I think they kind of go along with your your mention of, of the pandemic. There's something that we never imagined, and it was a collective thing. Like, everyone around the globe, pretty much, was experiencing something very similar, whether people wanted to believe it was happening or not, it was happening around them. And that aligns with the power of storytelling to me is because now someone can understand, you know, someone's sharing this experience, you're sharing your story, the people that you worked with at America's Most Wanted, the people you were telling stories of on Good Morning America and working with Oprah and and all these other things, that was helping other people understand that their circumstance is survivable. It is, you can move through it. You can move with it. I don't think you're going to move past it. I think that's really difficult. People yell at me when I tell them, I don't know if they yell, they say things to me when I tell them that I close the door on grief on my mom. Mm. And it's interesting to me. I do think I did, but that's a different circumstance. You know, you were a fully formed adult. You were a fully formed person moving through the world. I was eight years old. There aren't many memories that you keep 
with you from that moment in time. So my mother at this point in my life is a figment, like is a, is an idea, is a construct of a mother figure, which sounds terrible to say, but that sounds real. It's, and that's why I do this show. I think it's, I was conditioned growing up and I think maybe you were as well. And a lot of people were conditioned to say the things that make people comfortable. Absolutely. You know, don't tell them like, how are you today? You know, you usually say good, you know, like we're good. But if I was to tell you, well, actually it's really terrible. We're not, we're not ready. Like the person hearing that is like, uh, so I think it's interesting to think about the power of storytelling and now what you're doing with your book going on, you know, podcasts and and TV shows and whatnot, sharing this story, there's someone sitting there that's like, oh, I can stand up today. I can take that next step. You know, I think it's so powerful in what you do. How did the book help your healing? Did you find that it was like cathartic in a way? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, I've always written and my biggest life dream was to write a book. This was a book you can imagine no one would ever want to write, right? But I did start journaling immediately after this happened, really to work it out in my brain. And I would talk to myself, I would talk to God, I would write letters to my daughter. And my therapist smartly encouraged me to share some of them, not just with her, but with some of the people I was close to. And what I started to hear over time, and I think this is the power of telling one story, was friends who said things like, 
somehow you gave me hope today, you know, with everything you're going through. Or I hadn't prayed in years until you talked about how powerful prayer has been for you. And I realized that the holes in my body were allowing light to come through for people. And that in some ways, this wasn't about me. This was about how perhaps I could be used. And I say that with no delusions of grandeur, right? But like, how can I be a vehicle or a vessel to share what's possible even when the impossible happens? And that started to feel like my life's work. And so writing the book in some ways brought a lot of it back, mm, you know, in a, because in it's a negative so way. vivid. Yeah. But what has happened is I get DMs every day. I get emails. I get stopped where people say, not only did I read your book, but then I bought four copies because we lost my dad and I wanted all of my siblings to have it. That it really feels like it is a tool for a lot of people that are coping. And, and, you know, listen, the reality is we are all coping with some type of loss, right? Either you're coming out of it, you're in the middle of it, or you're going into it. And that's infertility, that's divorce, that's heartbreak, right? I, I think one of the hard things, and I'm sure you can relate to this as well, is when you've had a loss that most people can't really comprehend or doesn't feel relatable, we do this, what I call grief index, right? Of like, my grief is worse than yours or his grief is worse than mine. And I don't buy into that. I think we all have our journeys. You know, I think certainly it's hard to argue that it isn't devastating for an eight-year-old little boy to lose his mom or that it's not devastating to have a child taken away from you violently. And for others who are walking other lives, it's devastating to not be able to conceive at all. It's devastating to be divorced and have your husband walk away with everything and be left penniless. Like there are so many moments in our lives where all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, this isn't what I thought my life would look like. And so the book and the work I'm trying to do is about how do we pivot to something else when what we thought we were building disintegrates. Which you just defined the Life Shift podcast as well. You know, it's like there's a... we're all going to have it. We're all going to have these pivotal moments. I, I like this, this grief index idea, you know, and as you were saying it, it brought me back to, to that conversation that I had about kind of comparing. And he said, my worst day is equal to your worst day because it was our worst day. I love that. There's no leveling. It was our worst. Right. And so that's the top, that's how it can be. And that's how we can look at that. And you're right. I mean, people are, people are facing things and and what might seem insurmountable can be. And what you're doing for people, like these people stop you in the street and, and tell you how valuable your story is. I'm sure that is helping fill maybe some of those holes or some of those missing pieces and understanding that like I'm putting out some kind of good in the world despite such tragedy, such hardship, such challenge, right? And I bet that's even more valuable than, you know, selling another copy of your book, just understanding. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I, and my publisher wouldn't want to hear this, but I'm much less concerned about selling copies of my book as getting the message out. And so, you know, I've started working as a coach. 
I am, you know, going out and speaking. And, and it's really because so many people are living with extraordinary circumstances that they don't quite know how to manage. And there really are some practical tools that I started to see in my early days as a producer that I lived out that I do think help people. And they can help people professionally, they can help people personally, but there are, you know, there's not a formula, you know, A, B, C, D, but there are some consistent things that researchers would say and people who've experienced you know, trauma and loss would say, uh, help you cope. And you just mentioned one of them, you know, how can I make an impact on others? That can be starting a foundation for some people. I started a foundation in my daughter's memory called Gabrielle's Wings that uh, works to help children around the globe. That could be something like making dinner for my neighbor and knocking on the door. You know, sometimes we don't know how to help in these situations, But just trying to get outside of yourself and trying to make an impact, I think, is one of the key, key pieces on the path to healing. It only took me 25 years to come to this podcast. Oh, actually, 35 years, uh, a long time. What has been the most impactful thing, like thing that you did in your journey that helped you kind of get to that next level of you know, not just surviving, but, but finding a way to, to live. I think deciding, I I made a decision really early on, again, as a journalist that watched these stories, that Gabrielle's story was going to be of who she was in the world and that would happen to her. And that was the root of the foundation. And so for me, what has given me oxygen is seeing beautiful little kids that look like my daughter who are getting swim lessons or going to camp or given the social emotional learning tools that they now need in this crazy post-COVID world that they're living in, you know, getting a hug from one of those kids, hearing a great story about one of these children who perhaps would not have had access to things except for the work that the foundation is doing. That's who my daughter's, that's my daughter's legacy. And I've had people say, you know, she only lived seven years, but wow, think about what those seven years are doing all over the globe and the children that she's touching. And so that for me on my worst day uh, is to remember there's a way that I can impact other children that honors who she was and honors my love for her as a mother. I mean, the way you described her early on, it sounds like she would love doing this as well and that she would love being with those other little kids that, that needed something in their life and someone stepped in. And so I can imagine there's a component of just like living or like her living through you in this way of serving these, these little, you work with younger kids, right? Yes. Elementary age kids, um, in, in underserved communities and, you know, that's a lifelong impact. That's, a, that's for those exactly kids. right. Well, and that's why we chose that age group. You know, Gabrielle was seven. She was in the second grade. But we also know statistically the game-changing years are those elementary age years, right? I know. And so, yes, of course you do. Yeah. Of course you do. Yeah. And so getting to children during those years makes a huge impact. And for Gabrielle's last two birthday parties, um, she did backpack drives because her birthday was in 
August. And, you know, we would go to the local nonprofit that helped kids who didn't have school supplies and, and, you know, take the backpacks afterwards. So even as a small child, it's who she was becoming. It's, it's, it was what her spirit was. And so I feel like I'm honoring, you know, her spirit and honoring um, her in so many ways by this work. Yeah. I love it. I, I mean, I picture her and, and that, you know, when you see those other kids and just how that can just be a part of their journey. And like you said, that impactful age, I imagine as an eight-year-old, if things were afforded to me in a different way, it was the eighties. So there wasn't a lot of, a lot of talk and help and those kind of things. And so, you know, that was my journey, but the things that you can be doing, just even a small thing, you know, you give them something that they just didn't have before that they didn't know they needed can spark can spark yes. something. I was talking yes. to someone the other day in which they created a, a, like a solar light system and they go to war-torn countries or places like in Haiti after the earthquake and they bring these little kids this, this magic, right? This solar-powered yeah. light. And we talked about how, you know, that's great utility, but imagine as that kid seeing that there's hope in some kind of magic that the creator of this came and gave it, you invented this, you, that's possible. So I picture that in these kids that you're helping through this foundation, which is huge and impactful and will continue on through their lives. And I'm sure by having that, what does that trickle effect look like? Right? I mean, they were afforded something as a child. Imagine how many people they might help because of what you did for them. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the butterfly effect, which is, you know, one of the things behind, you know, the, the name Gabrielle's wings. She loved butterflies. I think of her as a little angel, but the idea that a small impact can have such a huge impact, right. That doing a small thing. And so to your point, you know, a small kindness that, you know, we can all probably remember as children, someone, an adult saying or doing something that we remember to this day, they may not even remember who we are, right? <laughs> like we may not have been in touch with them in 20 or 30 years, but it's amazing how those moments can go on to shape children. And so we try to be really intentional in our work about creating those opportunities for safety, for affirmation, and that are empowering. Yeah. And inspiring. Yes. Right. Because other people are going to see it or they're going to feel it and they're going to remember that moment. You know, I, I go go back to another person I spoke with. They were four, 15, maybe 16, ready to drop out of high school. One of their teachers pulled them aside like the day before they were going to just like, I'm dropping out and was like, one more day. I want you to write me three poems. We're going to submit this for a scholarship. She ended up winning a scholarship, ended up going to the college of her dreams, ended up getting the job of her dreams. And it was all because this guy saw her in her worst day, pulled her aside and just was like, write three poems. It's not like this big thing, right? That's so powerful. You know? And so now she looks back on that moment. The teacher was like, I don't remember that moment, you know, like, right, right. <laughs> but that changed her life. That was a moment in time. And so I just keep thinking about these little kids that you're just, even the smallest of, or something that we might seem might be small, like, oh, that wasn't too much for me to do, could have changed their lives. And so what an impact. Absolutely. I want to talk about you. I, I want to, um, I wonder, or do you ever wonder if the universe put you in 
that America's most wanted space and working with families and kind of navigating that space. Do you think there was some kind of universal play in here to kind of prepare you in a way to actively move forward? It's one to grapple with, right? I lost my best friend when I was six in the seventies where we didn't talk about things, you know, lost my mom uh, and her mother three months apart in my early twenties when a lot of my friends were not experiencing those losses, worked on this television show, and then this happened. So what I know for sure, um, and I'm sure you can relate to this, is you understand how people grieve and grieve differently. So I don't know if you have siblings, but if you do, they they would have lost something different than you lost, right? My brother and I lost someone different. We had the same mom. Parents react differently to loss. There are people that, you know, want to talk about the person all the time. There are others that literally will put every picture, every memento, everything away, right? And You're describing so, my family. <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know, it's, I think what's so powerful and that breaks my heart, but what's so powerful about it is to answer your question, I don't know if the universe, if these, if those things were preparing me for this, but I know in some ways they have, you know, that I walked into this circumstance, understanding grief, understanding certain law, sudden loss, having watched other people deal with loss through violence, addiction, and grappling with the criminal justice system. Yeah. And, you know, the importance of gratitude, of like little moments of gratitude. And that could be the sun is shining today. My friend brought my favorite cheeseburger over. Like, you know what I mean? Like early on, like the little, just, just having the courage to be grateful for those little things. So I do think there are lessons that our life gives us that if we're open to receive them and call upon them can help us on our journey as we continue. The openness is important. I I can relate to a lot of that, right? You know, I mentioned my mom dying when I was eight. My my dad's mom kind of took over the role of mother and we became pretty much best friends, like inappropriately best friends at times, as my dad would say. And I fail. She didn't talk about my mom dying like until the day she died, but I feel like I failed grieving for so long, for decades, for like twenty years or so, until you know I was ready, I guess. But what that did serve me is that when my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer, I knew for me what I needed to do to make sure that the process leading up to and after was going to be the best for her but also the best for me. And so that, you know, in that sense of, you know, maybe the universe didn't take my mom out in that way so that this could happen. But yes, to your point, being able to understand that there are things of that experience that could serve me later on. Like I had the conversation with my grandmother before she died and said everything that ever needed to be said. Hmm. Like, I don't think I could have done that without not being able to do that with my mom, right? I sat with my grandmother the last 96 hours of her life in the hospice house, watched her take her last breath. I don't think I would have been able to do that. And so I knew that when she took that last breath, I was going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew what I could do. I knew that 
I did everything that I needed to do. I said everything that I needed to say. And here we are moving through our life if we're aware enough to see that these experiences can fulfill us. And so I didn't mean to, th- to throw out there that the universe was like throwing things at you early on to kind of prepare you here. But it's always interesting how people like you that have the ability to reflect on those moments and what you can do with it is fascinating to watch. No, I, I didn't take it in a negative way at all. And it's certainly something I've thought about quite a bit. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, the gift, if if that's the right word, of life experiences is, you know, there is our ability to use them to help us navigate whatever is next. Because what we know for sure is as long as we're living, there will be more change. There will be other pivots. There will be times, you know, today will become a before to another pivot in life that will look different, you know, for whatever reason, three, four, five, ten 10 years from now. And I do think there's something, you know, resilience isn't about being a superhero, right? Resilience is about the collection of tools that you can assemble. You know, it's like being a mountain climber and knowing if I have certain tools, if I use certain tools, if I prepare a certain way, I have the tools I need to scale this mountain. It's still a big effing mountain, right? You can still fall. You can still get hurt. It's still, it is still as traumatic and scary as it would be for anyone else, but you have the toolkit. And I do think there is a confidence that you can develop around resilience that doesn't take doesn't take the pain or sting or shock or any of those things away when things happen, but in the way it allowed you to be really thoughtful. When you lose someone suddenly, the ability to lose someone over time is almost a gift. And I, and I know you know what I mean and won't take that in a negative way, but to have the luxury of being there and getting to say everything. And and I'm sure that that in some ways was gratifying because you didn't get the chance to do that with your mom, right? You didn't have that opportunity. So, you know, I, I think when we talk about resilience, when we talk about hope, so much of it is the toolkit that you can assemble from your life experience, from shared experiences, from hearing other people's stories that'll give you what you need when you need it. Yeah. And I would add to that to build the trust in yourself that you can do that. Right. You know, there's the confidence, but also like that mountain is huge. Can I do it again? Yeah, I think I can. And, and I think that that might be the hardest part for a lot of people to, that haven't experienced something super dramatic in their life or something super tragic. That first one, that first mountain can be really hard. But again, people like you telling your story of what you did and what you've done and and what you continue to do might give them that trust in themselves to take step one because step yeah. two is easier once you do step one you know and yes. so you know I and just, to go back to our climbing analogy and lord knows i'm not a mountain climber <laughs> so anyone that's listening feel free to cl- correct me if, if this isn't correct but my understanding is you take it a piece at a time right you you go you this is the next big part of this scale that we have to focus on. And so the idea of overcoming or healing or surviving my daughter's murder 
has never been the goal. The goal has been to choose to live today and survive today. And that's a choice you make every day to the extent it's within your power, right? And sometimes that's Ben and Jerry's in a nightgown. <laughs> like it's not a podcast. It's not, you know, trying to do a little something to your hair. It's it's like no mas can't do this today. Yeah, and that's okay. That's exactly right. That's always, you know, people are people going through something new in their experience, they losing someone. I think a lot of people want to just like try to solve it for them or help them. And my advice at this point in my journey is always feel however you are feeling and be okay with that. Acknowledge it. You know, I think early on I would laugh and then I would feel like, oh no, should I have laughed? You know, and I'm like, I'm a human. Like we're going to have these moments and it's okay to be at any point in your, you could be so mad. It's okay. Honor it, move through it, move with it, you know, however you need to be. And that's the only advice I can give to people because like you pointed out earlier, a grief journey is different for every single person. And it's it's your Absolutely. own. Absolutely. And I'm sure you get questioned as well of what people should do when someone they care about is faced with loss. And, you know, what I always say is, you know, that person is ripped open with vulnerability, right? Like they don't, they don't get a choice. You know, their stuff, you know, you may be going through whatever you're going through, but their story, when you have this type of loss forces them to be vulnerable. And so instead of trying to solve it, instead of trying to say the right thing, cause you're not going to be able to that, that need to fix it is somewhat ego. And instead take the posture of I'm here right now in this moment. I'm not going to pretend to know what to say. I'm not going to pretend to know what to do. Is there something I can do right now? If that's just sitting here, that's fine. I'm not going to pretend to have the words. That ability to open up and be vulnerable and sit with their uncomfortableness, probably not a word, um, but you know, that, that to me is so much more powerful than someone walking in with whatever trope they read online about, you know, everything happens for a reason or, or don't ever tell someone that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite moments, um, my, I have a brother that's three years younger than me. And after we lost our mom, I remember at the wake at one point, well, we didn't have a formal wake, but at the memorial at one point, him whispering to me, if one more person tells me she's in a better place, I'm going to offer to send them there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, people in their human frailty, you know, say all sorts of stupid things, meaning well. And so my advice to people is, be be vulnerable. Have the ability to sit in the vulnerability that your friend is in and in that uncomfortable space. Is that what you would say to someone like yourself pulling up on at your house that day? What would you say to that version of Michelle, if you could, knowing what you know now? that it will be a minute by minute, breath by breath journey and to give yourself the grace to be exactly where you are right now, knowing that it won't always be what it is right now. And that doesn't mean healing or a grief journey is linear. You know, there are days that feel like day one still. They don't last as long, 
they they aren't as triggering they aren't necessarily as debilitating but i think truly learning how to be in your body and honor wherever you are emotionally in that moment is what i would try to whisper into her ear i think she would listen I just, you know, in the little bit I know about you, I feel like I know a lot about you now, but in this short amount of time, I feel like that version of you would listen and understand that this one moment is what matters right now. And the next moment will be the one that matters next. And I think that's an important thing to say, you know, to, to kind of wrap up the conversation, I wonder if you could share the best way to either connect with you, find your book, whatever the the best thing, if people are inspired by your story or just want to know more, where can they go and what can they do? Absolutely. So on Instagram, I'm MD Hoard, M-D-H-O-R-D, like Dr. Hoard, although I'm not a doctor. And I have a newsletter that they can sign up uh, with there. We talk a lot about hope and about um, life changes and new chapters. And I have a website, which is just my name spelled out, Michelle D. Hoard. Dot com, And you can also find information about Gabrielle's Wings there as well. And your book. Your book is and called The book. Other Side of Yet. The Other Side of Yet. And congratulations yes. on the paperback, the hardback, the Kindle. Thank you. Do you have an audiobook of that? I do. I recorded the audiobook, which was a whole other <laughs> emotional journey you can imagine. I bet. Um, hearing those words out loud. So yeah, I, it is available wherever books are sold. And I'd be honored if some of your listeners picked it up and hopefully it can be helpful. I will certainly link to all of those things in the show notes. So if you're listening and you want to connect and you want to check out the book or what, what Michelle's doing, please uh, reach out to her and uh, find those links there. And uh, thank you, Michelle. Thank you for just being a part of this most fulfilling journey that I've ever been on and, and having the time to, to have a real honest human conversation. It's been quite a joy in, in a way that maybe joy is not the right word, but I think you understand. I absolutely do. And I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. And if you're listening and you're enjoying the show, five stars rating, those kind of things are lovely. I don't really know what they do. Sometimes they just make me feel really good on a Tuesday. So uh, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week with a brand new episode. For more information, please visit www.thelifeshiftpodcast.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.